couple of days, many of us have been blessed by having Jerem Bars with us, um, listening uh, at the men's retreat, and then yesterday morning with university students, and at noontime with faculty and graduate students, and so forth. And so we're blessed also to have Jerem to preach um, to preach this morning. It's somewhat selfish of me because when the retreat speaker comes this way, I get to enjoy the retreats and actually have a couple of days to be blessed and uh, myself. And it has been it has been that Jerem's a professor at Covenant Seminary. And um, we're grateful for his being. I'm going to pray and then he will come. He'll come and I'll pray. How about that? <clears throat> pray with me. Father in heaven, we're grateful for Jeremy and how you've worked in his life and how you've called him. And thus we listen now to him as he shares with us that which is the word of God. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. It's been a very great pleasure to be with you here this weekend and just a joy to serve you all, to serve Chad and just to see him again and his family has been wonderful and just a privilege to be with you. I wish my wife could have been here too, not to come to the men's retreat, of course, but, uh, but just to meet uh, some of you. If you could turn, please, to... Luke chapter 19, I'm going to be reading in a few moments from the first 10 verses of Luke 19. But before I do, just a a brief introduction. My title this morning is Following Jesus into the World. In our worship today... And every Sunday, we celebrate together what God has done for us. That from before the foundation of the world, he planned to send his son into this world to rescue us, to deliver us from our rebellion and disobedience, our unbelief and idolatry, our refusal to serve God and worship him, or walk in his ways. That is the great mission of God, that God has sent his son into this world. And Jesus, as he spoke to his disciples, spoke to them about the way they were called to follow him. And it's that that I want us to think about this morning. On the night before he died, Jesus was praying for his disciples, and not just for them, but for the whole church of the future. And in that prayer, which you can read in John 17, Jesus says these words. He says, as you sent 
me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. That is Jesus' prayer for us, for every believer. Just as the Father planned from all eternity to send his Son into the world to deliver us, so Jesus now prays for us every day that we will go into the world just as he came into the world. This is where he has sent us to be in this world of sin, of rebellion, of disobedience and unbelief, to live out in that world every day of our lives. And then later in John's gospel in chapter 20, Jesus commissions his disciples. And again, as that prayer teaches us, that commission is for every Christian. It wasn't just for those first apostles. It wasn't simply for pastors and leaders of the church, this church. It is for every Christian. Jesus says this, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. That is Jesus' calling of us to be sent into the world. And as I think about this morning, that this morning, what I want to do is to look at one passage in the Gospels, this passage in Luke chapter 19, where Jesus shows us just what he has in mind for us. The best model for us to think about being in the world is Jesus himself, of course, because the Father sent him, and that's what we've been celebrating this morning, Jesus coming into the world for us. So what does it look like for us to be in the world? Well, look, let's look at this example from the life of Jesus. So Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And a, a nice title for this passage, this particular account in Luke's gospel, would be an unusual dinner invitation. So following Jesus into the world, and we're going to read about an unusual dinner invitation. This particular story, by the way, is only in Luke's gospel. And what that means is that just as Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel that he went around interviewing the people who were eyewitnesses of the events in Jesus' life. What must have happened is that years later when Luke was doing his research, he met Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus told him about this day. And so Luke has recorded this story for us. So let's hear God's word. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore fig tree to see Jesus, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, 
he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received Jesus joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. A wonderful story, and I'm sure it's a story that most of you have heard many times. Some of you from all the way back to Sunday school when you were very little. And you learned songs about this wee little man who climbed up into a sycamore tree. So let's try to not forget all those things, but to think in a new way about this situation, this story as an example of Jesus being in the world and what he is calling us to. What is the setting here? Well, it's very clear that Jesus and Zacchaeus have never met before this occasion. Zacchaeus doesn't know who Jesus is. There's a huge crowd of people uh, coming out of Jericho, Uh, surrounding Jesus and following him. And the reason for that, if you read the end of Luke chapter 18, Jesus has just healed a blind man. And people are astonished by this miracle. So there's this vast crowd of people around Jesus and Zacchaeus sees the great crowd and he wants to know what's happening. And because he is so little, he is a small man. He can't see over the crowd. And so to find out what is going on, he climbs up into this tree. Your Bible says, the ESV, it was a sycamore tree. Some texts say a fig tree, but it's actually a sycamore fig. And it isn't a fig, but the advantage for a man like Zacchaeus, who is little and who is wearing clothes right down to the ground, a long robe, is it's got branches which come out parallel to the ground and so he's able to climb it like a ladder even in his long robe and so here's this wealthy man he was extremely wealthy and he's a very powerful man feared by the people there in the city of Jericho where he worked here's this powerful and rather wealthy man climbing up into a tree uh, like a little boy to look over the crowd and see what all the fuss is about So Zacchaeus is eager to see Jesus, whom he has never met, and find out what is going on. And what is remarkable about this story is that Jesus looks up into this tree and he sees this little man up there, and Jesus knows him. They've never met before, but Jesus knows him. He knows his name. Uh, You have never met Jesus face to face, just as Zacchaeus hasn't. But Jesus knows your name, and he knows all about you. He knows what's in your heart, just as he knew what was in Zacchaeus' heart that day. And he sees that, at the least, 
Zacchaeus has some eagerness to see what is going on, to see who Jesus is. And possibly, and we can ask Zacchaeus this question one day, I have many questions I'd like to ask the people in these biblical stories about what happened in their lives afterwards, but also about that day to get some more detail because Luke has compressed many hours of time into these brief 10 verses here. And so I would like to ask Zacchaeus the question, did you know anything at all about Jesus before? Had you heard that he was a different kind of rabbi, a different kind of teacher, one who enjoyed being with sinful wretches like Zacchaeus, unlike the other religious leaders and teachers of his day. But we don't know and we won't know until we meet Zacchaeus whether he'd heard anything about Jesus before and the kind of different teacher Jesus was. So here we have these two people who've never met before. Jesus seeing into Zacchaeus' heart as he is up there in the tree. Zacchaeus eager to know what's going on. And the story proceeds with what I've called here an unusual dinner invitation. Jesus looks up into the tree and he calls out, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. I must come to your house today. Jesus invites himself to spend the day in Zacchaeus' home and to eat there with him. Why is this unusual? Well, at the very least, it seems a little presumptuous. Jesus has never met Zacchaeus before, and he's invited himself to his home for dinner. Uh, I think you would be surprised if I just looked out at the congregation and just picked on somebody I've never met before and said, I'm coming to your house for dinner today. Uh, and you would think I would probably be a little rude as well as presumptuous. So what's going on here? Jesus isn't, of course, rude, and he's not presumptuous. So what's happening? What's this really about? Well, let's think about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, given the kind of man he was, this tax collector, could not possibly invite Jesus or any other teacher of his day of God's word, any rabbi, uh, any teacher of the law, any Pharisee, or even any devout Jew to his home because they would have refused to come. They would have been offended by the invitation. It's impossible for Zacchaeus to invite Jesus as a godly and holy and devout man and a teacher of God's word. And so Jesus invites himself. And as the text tells us, Zacchaeus is amazed. He responds with joy. He comes rushing down from his tree. I'm sure he didn't go too fast uh, with his long robes, but he comes down from that tree as quickly as he can. And he comes to Jesus and receives Jesus joyfully. And the crowd sees them going off to Zacchaeus' home together. And that brings us to the next aspect of this account. What's the response of everybody else? Zacchaeus is joyful. 
He is just thrilled that this teacher, this person who the crowd are celebrating for this amazing miracle that Jesus has asked to come to Zacchaeus' home for the day. Zacchaeus is joyful, but what about everybody else? Well, everybody else complains about it. Everybody else grumbles. And they criticize Zacchaeus as a sinner. And they criticize Jesus as well. On this occasion, it's not just simply the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are constantly criticizing Jesus for the company he keeps, that he eats and drinks with sinners, and that he goes to their home. But on this occasion, the whole crowd complains. The whole crowd grumbles. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Now, we can understand why they criticized Zacchaeus as a sinner. We can understand why they hated him. And let me tell you why. Well, Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Uh, and maybe one or two of you here work for the Inland Revenue, and so you think that's a little unfair. Uh, why should they hate me because I'm a tax collector? Maybe on April the 15th, but uh, the rest of the time I'm just a regular fellow. But tax collecting in Jesus' day wasn't like that. These tax collectors worked for Rome. They worked for this brutal, occupying imperial power. They didn't work for the Jewish state. They worked for the Romans. And of course, the Jews hated the Romans. They were one of the most brutal powers the world has ever seen there's an account in Luke's gospel a few chapters from this which describes how some of Pilate's soldiers massacred a group of Galileans who were on their way to Jerusalem to offer their sacrifices at the temple that they slaughtered them on the road and mixed their blood with the blood of the animals they were taking to sacrifice to give you an idea of how brutal the Romans were, just a few decades before this, they had killed two million people in Gaul, that is present-day France, when they conquered that part of Europe. That's what they did everywhere they went. They were constantly massacring people, maintaining their rule by absolute brutality. And here is Zacchaeus, a Jew, who is working for the enemies of his own people. This isn't some friendly power coming to bring democracy and the rule of law to Judea. The Romans were abominable, cruel, brutal. One of the worst powers in the history of our world. And Zacchaeus is working for them. And so the Jews hate him as a collaborator with the enemy to try to think about how might, you might feel would be if you had somebody here in Lawrence who you discovered was a collaborator with Islamic terrorism today. You would not be happy if your pastor went to have dinner with this guy. You would wonder what was going on. 
So here's Zacchaeus working for the Romans. And there's another problem too which led to hatred by the Jewish people of Zacchaeus and the other tax collectors. The Romans didn't pay them anything. And so Zacchaeus and the other tax collectors liked him when they collected taxes from their fellow Jews were able to set their own salary. They collected that as well. And of course, that meant you could very easily be greedy. You could demand whatever you liked. And there's a Roman soldier behind you and your fellow Jews will have to give you what you ask. That's the kind of man Zacchaeus was. And the text tells us he's become very wealthy at this job. Not surprisingly. It also tells us that he's a chief tax collector, which means he's over the whole Jericho district. And other Jews who are unscrupulous and greedy like him will have bribed him to get their jobs. And so he has become a very wealthy man. So it's perfectly understandable that the people are scornful of Zacchaeus, that they hate him, that they regard him as a sinner because he most certainly was. But why the criticism of Jesus? Because it's not only Zacchaeus they criticize here, it's Jesus. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Well, it's understandable at one level, you know, his behavior is outrageous to associate with this man who is greedy and working with the Romans, a collaborator, ruthless. But it's more than that. Jesus, by going to the home of a man like Zacchaeus, is going to make himself impure, unclean, unholy. In Judaism at that day, there were many laws about who you could be with, who you could eat with, whose home you could go to. Let me give you an example. You needn't turn to it, but you can look it up when you go home this afternoon. In Acts chapter 10, we read about Peter going to the home of a Roman centurion, Cornelius. And when Peter gets to that man's home, and he has to have three visions and a direct command of God to go there, because he's so reluctant to go. When he gets into Cornelius' home, he says this, you are well aware how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. They were absolutely forbidden to eat with, to associate with, to go to the home of, anyone who was not a Jew. They would make themselves unholy, impure, unclean. And what Jesus do, is doing on this occasion is much worse than going to the home of a Gentile. Cornelius was a godly man. He worshipped God. He attended the synagogue. But even so, the Jews would not associate with him or go to his home or eat with him. But a Jew like Zacchaeus, who every day is making himself unclean by association with the Romans, was despised even more than the Gentiles themselves. 
And there were many laws about not going to the home of such a man. So what Jesus did was much worse than what Peter had such a hard time doing years later in going to the home of Cornelius. Jesus is just flouting, he is breaking, he is completely setting aside the laws of Judaism in his day. A couple of years ago in November, I had the privilege to lead a tour in Israel for the first time in my life. And we were going past Jericho in our coach. And our Jewish tour guide was speaking over the microphone to the 20 odd people, 24 people we had on the coach. And she was talking about Jesus and she's not a Christian, but she's respectful of Christians and of the New Testament. And we became very close while I was there and I'm still in contact with her and pray for her. But as we were going past Jericho, she said, Jesus, of course, was a good Jewish boy who kept all the laws of Judaism. And I waited till she turned off the microphone and I, because I didn't want to embarrass her. And I said, well, actually he wasn't. He was constantly breaking the laws of Judaism. And let me tell you an example. And she immediately turned on the microphone and she said, I was wrong. You know, let's hear what Jeremiah has to say about this. Jesus was not a good Jewish boy. This is very interesting. And uh, so I said, well, let me tell you a story that happened right here in Jericho in the life of Jesus as an example of how he broke the laws of Judaism in his day. And indeed he did repeatedly. It is why The Pharisees and teachers of the law are constantly criticizing him because he sets aside their laws. In Jesus' day, there were many laws about separation from Gentiles, separation from Jews who associated with them, separation from Samaritans, separation from sinners. And Jesus just sets them all aside. Now, he feels free to do so because they're not God's commandments. There are no such laws in the Old Testament. They were the laws of first century Judaism, which they had added to God's law. And Jesus sets them aside because they nullified God's commandments about mercy. There are many commandments in the Old Testament about mercy to aliens, mercy to Gentiles, about being hospitable to them about eating with them, about welcoming them. There are many commandments about being merciful to sinners. Of course, that is the whole biblical message. There is no other biblical message from Genesis 3 onwards. But a God who comes to sinners and welcomes them to himself and brings them into fellowship with him. The very heart of the whole Old Testament, of the whole Bible, is God's mission to sinners. That is the biblical message. There isn't any other biblical message at all. And the laws of Judaism in the first century set that mission of God to the sinful world aside. So Jesus very gladly goes to the home of Zacchaeus. And when Jesus is criticized... 
which he has repeatedly in the Gospels for behavior just like this on this day going to Zacchaeus' home. When Jesus is criticized, this was his response. He says, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You can offer to God anything you like. But if you don't offer him mercy, it is absolutely worthless. As Christians, we can define holiness and purity any way we like. But if it doesn't include mercy to a sinful world at its heart and mercy to particular sinners in this community of Lawrence, then it's not biblical holiness at all. And it's not pleasing to God in any way. So Christ desires mercy from us as he practiced mercy to sinners. Oh, for he has shown mercy to us. That's what we've been singing about all through this worship service. The mercy of God to us in Christ. God's merciful mission to us who are rebels and disobedient sinners. You know, there is no other Christian life that the New Testament speaks of. No other way of loving and obeying Jesus than this. No other way of following God's commandments than following Jesus into the world and being merciful to sinners. This is the only kind of righteousness the Bible knows anything about. This is the kind of righteousness which we are to practice before our children and to teach to our children that they are to go into the world being merciful to the sinner's around them it is the very heart of the biblical message as well as the gospel story so jesus goes to the home of zacchaeus and then we come to the climax of this story as i said luke has compressed many hours into these few verses here but clearly what has happened they have gone to zacchaeus home and they are reclining at the table together. And Jesus and Zacchaeus are talking at the table. And then in the middle of that meal, Luke tells us that Zacchaeus stood. They've been reclining at the table. Zacchaeus stands up and he makes his wonderful statement of repentance. You know, the extraordinary grace of Jesus and inviting himself to his home and then coming and eating with him at his table and being his guest you know, has overwhelmed Zacchaeus. Christ's mercy has touched his heart. And he stands up and he makes this remarkable statement. He says, behold, half of my goods I give to the poor. You imagine that. Going home after this service, and writing a check of half of all you possess. Amazing. But we shouldn't be amazed by it because that's what Jesus does to people. At the men's retreat on Friday night, I was telling a little bit about my wife's dad, who was with the Lord, he died three or four years ago, at the age of 91. And he was a, not a wealthy man. 
small farmer in central California all his life with just 40 acres of fruit, but he regularly gave half of all his income every year for many, many years. That's the impact of Christ on our hearts. And that's the first thing Zacchaeus says. The second, he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, you would have to go home, and I won't give you all the texts here, but they're in Exodus and Numbers and Samuel. And there are laws about defrauding. And what's amazing here is, if you look at those laws, the laws about defrauding require you to restore what you've stolen plus about 20%, what you've defrauded plus 20%. That's the law. It's only the laws of the very worst kind of theft. If I defrauded Chad of $100, the requirement would be to give him $120 back. But if I had stolen $100 from Chad outright and then gone out and spent it and then denied it when I was confronted, then I would have had to pay $400. What's happening here is this, that Zacchaeus is looking at his life of greed and fraud. And his heart is so overwhelmed by the love of Jesus that he sees his greed as the worst kind of theft. He doesn't minimize his sin. That's a challenge to us all when we come before the Lord, not to say, well, Lord, I had this excuse or, Lord, it wasn't so bad. Jesus says that when we look at our own sin, we're to see it like a great big plank in our eye. And when we look at the sin of the people like Zacchaeus around around us, we're to see it like specks of dust. We are not to minimize our sin when we come before the Lord, but to see it in all its ugliness and acknowledge it to him. And that's what's happened with Zacchaeus here on this occasion. And when Jesus hears this, he makes his beautiful declaration. He says, today salvation has come to this house. He also is a son of Abraham in every possible sense. A son of Abraham who will see in the kingdom to come, not simply a a Jew racially, but one who is now truly a child of Abraham, one of the family of God. And then Jesus says these wonderful words, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. What Jesus has done here is to put together two texts. Jesus' favorite title for himself is, That he is the son of man. This glorious figure Daniel speaks about in Daniel 7. Who is going to come on the clouds of heaven. And who is going to rule all the nations. And the whole universe forever. He is this glorious son of man. This eternal divine king. But he puts that together with. He came to seek and to save the lost. And that's a quote from Ezekiel chapter 34. Where God says about himself that he is the shepherd of his people who has this passion to come 
and to seek and to save the lost. That is the mission of God. All through this age. To come to seek and to save the lost. And that's how Jesus defines his mission for us. That's God's purpose in this world. All through history. That's God's purpose when he sent his son. That's why Jesus is in the home of Zacchaeus. This wretched sinner. This greedy and corrupt man. This collaborator with the enemy. Jesus delighted to go to his home. Because he has this passion to save. Jesus. All through his life. Is described in the gospels as a friend of sinners. It also says about him that sinners welcomed him gladly. Jesus committed himself to personal intimacy with sinners. That's what it meant to eat together. That's why everybody's so upset when he goes to Zacchaeus' home. Because for the Jews, for the people of God, just as for us, eating together is a sign of the closest possible fellowship. You know, it's your family you eat with, the people you love most dearly. Well, that is why in the Bible there are meals which celebrate our fellowship with God. If you took a sacrifice to the temple, some of those sacrifices were followed by a meal in the temple in the presence of God, signifying that God loved you, that he welcomed you, that he delighted in knowing you. That is why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, a simple meal where Christ invites us to his table. Because he loves us and he wants us to be with him. And this is why we look forward in the kingdom to come to sitting down at the table, the banqueting table of Christ at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Where we will be welcomed as the honored guests, as the bride of Christ and Christ will serve us at his table on that day. Eating together means intimacy. And that's why Jesus goes to the home of Zacchaeus, because he wants to be friends with this man, this wretched man. He wants to be friends with him. Now, our calling is to follow Jesus into the world. That is the calling of every believer. You know, to take the initiative with our neighbors. To dignify people who are despised. To honor people who are evildoers. To give our ourselves to friendship. With people who are unbelievers and idolaters. And disobedient to the commandments of God. And to do it gladly. Because that is the message of the gospel. Jesus delights in bringing impossible people into his kingdom. Like you and me. And like Zacchaeus. And he sends us out into the world to follow him. And to give ourselves to intimate friendships with people who are sinners. As I said, that is the message we are to practice in our own lives. That is the gospel we are to teach to our children. Not to 
separate ourselves from the world and from sinners, but to follow Jesus into the world and to give ourselves to fellowship with sinners. This is the gospel. This is the Christian life. There is no other Christian life that the New Testament knows anything about. But this, again, this is why you came here today. To celebrate the mercy of God in Christ to sinners. And the Lord is going to send us out from here today. Into the world. To a life of friendship with sinners. That is our call. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we worship you because you have been merciful to us every day of our lives you forgive us our sins and you cleanse us from unrighteousness and you love to come to be alongside us into our homes into our hearts you have said to us behold I stand at the door and knock if anybody open the door, I will come and sit with him and eat with him and he with me. Lord, fill us with delight in your love, in your mercy to sinners like us. Fill us so deeply with that love that we will go out and practice it and show the same mercy to those around us. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus for his sake, for his kingdom, that we may follow him into the world. Amen.